everyone who has. So we're continuing this morning our um, series on transformed living, which is looking at the second half of Ephesians. We looked at transformed life uh, last year or so, looking at Ephesians 1 to 3, and now we're looking at Ephesians 4 to 6. And I preached uh, four weeks ago, and this is a sort of back-to-back I know there's been a bit of a gap in between with Sophie's baptism and New Ground Sunday and Otford Manor, but it's sort of back-to-back in terms of we're looking at the next section in Ephesians 5. And so I want to touch on uh, just a sort of recap of what I mentioned last time because uh, this passage that we're going to look at starts with the phrase, so then... And that's a bit like a therefore, you know, in view of what I've just said, so then, uh, do this or look at this. So uh, the, the first few verses of Ephesians 5, we looked at under three headings. The first was assess your attitude. So we looked at imitating Jesus and putting God first in our lives. And then the second point was protect your purity where we looked at, if you remember, not stepping over the fence. We, we looked particularly at sexual immorality, and, uh, but also other temptations. Don't, don't step over the fence. Don't get close to it. And then thirdly, watch your words. Do our words come from light or from darkness? And we concluded that each of these is hard, it's difficult, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And we know the Holy Spirit lives in us, but he doesn't impact our lives unless we invite him to, unless we allow him to. So we concluded, don't be afraid to ask for help. Now we're going to look at the next section in Ephesians 5. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Ephesians 5 from 15 to 21, and they'll come up behind me. In fact, there they are already. So Ephesians 5:15 So then be careful how you walk not as unwise people but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery but be filled with the spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father, and subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, if you were here four weeks ago, you would have heard me say that I'm very careful about what I watch on Facebook. But it was interesting, this week I read something which was very apt, uh, and so I want to share it with you. And I want you to imagine that it's the end of the meeting. Now, that's probably not difficult for you. You're probably all wishing for that at this moment. <laughs> but you, you've, uh, you've, you've, you know, we've finished the meeting, and you've headed over to get your cup of coffee, and you're standing with it in your hand, and you're talking to somebody, and you can't really drink it because it's a bit hot yet, and you're standing there, and then somebody squeezes past you and knocks your elbow, and you spill coffee all over the floor, and then you have it all having to be mopped up. And, and then somebody says to you, why did you spill the coffee? 
what would you say? What would you say? It was an accident. Some of them bumped into me. Wrong answer. Why did you spill the coffee? Because there was coffee in the cup. If there'd been tea in the cup, you'd have spilt tea. Now, when I read this, I had exactly your reaction when I got to that point. But I kept reading. And this is what it said. Whatever is inside the cup will spill out. Therefore, when life comes along and shakes you, which it will, whatever is inside you will come out. It's easy to fake it until you get rattled. When life gets tough, what spills over? Joy, gratefulness, patience, peace, humility, or is it anger, bitterness, harsh words, and reactions? Life provides the cup. You choose how to fill it. And I just felt it was such a helpful analogy because in this passage, Paul asked the question, what do we fill our lives with? Many years ago, when we were in Brighton, uh, one of the elders' wives, uh, I thought, how do I, is that correct? That's one wife or one elder. You know, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Uh, but anyway, she rang me and she said, Kevin, do you live near Sainsbury's in Hove? I said, yeah, we do. Oh, she said, I wonder if you can help me. We've broken down by the big crossroads near Sainsbury's. And I said, oh, yeah, well, I'll be there in two minutes. Come and help you. It was literally 100 yards from our door. And she said, I just, I think all the kids are in the car. She said, I've just been to Sainsbury's. You know, we filled up with shopping and I, it just stopped as we were coming up the hill. And I said, oh, no, I, have you got fuel in the car? Yes, she said, I've just filled up. And I thought, what, what fuel does the car take? She said, diesel. I said, are you sure you put diesel in it? And she got the receipt. Oh, no, I put petrol in it. So we took her and the kids home and we gave them a cup of tea while they waited for somebody to come along and rescue the car and it all got fixed and it cost her about £80 when it could have been a lot more. And funnily enough, well not funnily enough, I needed did exactly that last week. We were away on holiday and we were, we'd been with the caravan and the, our Astra is diesel and pulls the caravan uh, and my car's petrol. And so we pulled up to fill up with fuel and I put the thing nozzle in and I'm pressing the thing and nothing's happening. And I looked at it and you know, it, you have to wait sometimes for it to be authorised or processed or press the button. And I looked back and went, ah, it's the wrong one. <laughs> Quickly put it back and put the right one in. You know, it was fortunate, but n- nearly, nearly did it. You see, using the wrong fuel can damage the engine. You won't get very far. Sue only got just a couple of hundred yards from the petrol station. And it it can be very costly. It's the same with our lives. If we put the wrong things in, we can do ourselves damage. It doesn't help our Christian walk and is costly in our relationship with God. But we can't live our lives totally focused on God every minute of every day. Sometimes we have to go shopping, we have to make lunch, we have to go to work, we have to fill up the car with fuels. So the question is, where do we draw the line? 
what's appropriate to spend time and energy on that isn't primary spiritual activity. Well, God has given us boundary lines, both positive and negative. He says, don't lie, steal or murder. He says, honor your parents, remember the poor, love one another and many other things as well. But we can set our own boundary lines and often I think they should be related to the things that we find are our weaknesses. You know, if you're tempted, tempted to drink too much, don't live next to a pub. <laughs> don't keep lots of alcohol in the house. If you're going out for a drink with your friends, limit the amount of money you take with you so that you can't spend too much. Apply similar principles in other areas that you find a challenge, whether that's watching too much TV, a tendency to grumble or gossip, flirting, or being too close to unhelpful relationships. Set your boundaries and ask the Holy Spirit to help you stick to them. Or as we said four weeks ago, don't climb over the fence. You can also ask friends to help you. Well, I'm going to look at accountability a little bit later, but by way of illustration, a, a few years ago when we were in Hastings, one of the guys there came to me and he said, I'm struggling, I'm, I keep falling to temptation. And we talked about it and we, we looked at things that he could put in place to help him. And then I said to him, I'm going to text you every day to ask you how you're getting on. And I did that for about six to eight weeks. And gradually, over the time, he built up a habit because he knew I was going to text him. He knew I was going to ask him. And so he had that in the back of his mind and that regularity really helped him. And don't be put off from people who don't understand or mock you. You know, if you're going out for a drink with your mates and you say, look, guys, I've just bought enough money for two drinks. Oh, why don't you trust yourself then? Not got any self-control? How do you respond? You say, no, I don't. Especially when I've had a couple of drinks. Be upfront, be honest about it. Learn what the word no feels like on your tongue. It's very different to yes. It's, you know, they're completely different. Understand, practice it, stick with it. The worst phrase in the world is, oh, all right then. Because that means, I know I shouldn't. I know I'm too weak to resist. And worse still, it means, I fear man more than I fear God. God wants us to stay within his boundaries and to stay within our boundaries, not because he's an ogre and wants to restrict our freedom or curb our enjoyment. Quite the opposite. He wants to protect us from harm and life-changing impact. We don't tell our children to keep clear of the fire because we want to restrict their freedom. We do so because we want to prevent them from harming themselves and having life-changing effects. So with that as our backdrop, what does it look like to walk with wisdom and by the Holy Spirit?
Wisdom isn't the same as knowledge. You can be very clever, but also very unwise. You can be the worst person in your quiz team, but still you can be very wise. The dictionary definition of wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Experience is gaining information from things that you have done or things that you have seen. We might say to someone, there's a wise head on those young shoulders. And it's because we recognize that someone who is young is acting in a wise way unexpectedly because they've not had many years to gain experience. Knowledge in this context is more linked to your experience than your study and learning, but doesn't exclude things that you have learnt from study. And then judgment is about right choices based on your experience and that associated knowledge. So we're going to step through this passage and see a progression that suggests how we can walk in wisdom. Firstly, be careful, is what Paul says. Now, this can sound a bit weak. It's what parents say to their children when they're undecided whether what the child wants to do is the right thing. They don't really want them to do it, but they can't think of a reason to stop them. Mum, can I climb up that rock? Yes, dear, but be careful. Dad, can I go sledging? Yes, but, but be careful. It's also what we say to people after they've done something. You know, you trip on the pavement. Oh, careful. Yeah, yeah it's done now. It's too late. <laughs> Mum, I slipped off that rock and grazed my leg. Yeah, well, I told you to be careful. It doesn't help, does it? But if we take our lead from Jesus, we know he was careful, but he did some very risky things. He overturned the tables in the temple. He spent time with the outcasts of society. He told the Pharisees they were whitewashed tombs. I've got to read you this. I love this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. These are the religious rulers of the day. Woe to you. Hypocrites, he calls them, for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He doesn't hold back. So if being careful doesn't mean not taking risks, what does it mean? Well, Paul tells us we're to add wisdom. He says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So going back to our child parent examples, mum, can I climb that rock? Yes, but don't climb the higher one next to it. If you fall off this one, it'll just be a graze or a bruise. If you fall off that one, it might be something broken. That's adding wisdom. Dad, can I go sledging? Yes, but go on the slope that 
ends with a long flat stretch, not the one that ends in trees because you're not very good at steering or stopping. That's adding wisdom. We can be careful by adding wisdom. And we have the advantage of having access to the wisdom of God. Just as Jesus spent time in prayer with the Father, we can be guided by him when we're not sure what we should do. James says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. Isn't that fantastic? Without reproach. Yes, I know, I've asked you many times before. God doesn't hear that bit. It's without reproach. You ask for wisdom, I'll give you wisdom. I give generously. It says, and it will be given to him. But even in our asking, we do need to be careful because James continues, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. Well, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything. Being a double-minded man, unstable in his ways. Be careful how you walk and be careful how you pray. Secondly, be smart. Paul encourages us not just to walk wisely but to use our time wisely he says making the most of your time some of your versions will say making the most of your opportunities and I think there are several aspects to this firstly don't be idle there's an old proverb the devil finds work for idle hands which means you're more likely to be tempted into something unhelpful or worse when there's nothing to occupy your time. And how about this from Ecclesiastes? Through extreme laziness, the rafters sag, and through idleness, the house leaks. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Basically, idleness leads us to do things we shouldn't and not do things we should. Secondly, plan sensibly the knee-jerk reaction to idleness is to fill our time so much that we're forever chasing our tails we're always late and we don't ever feel fulfilled that's not what making the most of your time means we should plan with wisdom leaving space for overrun whether that's in a business meeting or whether that's with coffee with a friend how often have you had a coffee with a friend? You've talked about all sorts of things. You're then looking at your watch and thinking, I think I should probably go, and suddenly something is said which opens up a conversation which needs talking about there and then. Allow more time for travel than Google Maps tells you. You know, I was going to Crawley this week, and I know it's about half an hour to get to Crawley, except when I got to Lingfield and found the road was shut. And then I had to do a great big loop around. Build in breathing space and rest. Because if you don't plan for it, the likelihood is it won't happen. Have structure to your days, to your weeks, to your months, and to your years. 
redeem time, thirdly, where possible. We do lead very busy lives. And sometimes it's difficult to put in everything we want or everything we need. But we can often double up without adding pressure. You can walk with a friend instead of on your own and enjoy a chat and some company. If you want to get time with someone and you can't find space, invite them to travel with you. Come in the car with me. I'm going somewhere. Spend an hour having a coffee and then you come back and you can double up that time. Listen while you're travelling, whether it's worship music, podcasts, preaches. Read the Bible on the train. Yeah, there are lots of things that you can do where you're doing two things at the same time without feeling the pressure. And then fourthly, rest well. I mentioned building time and space for rest, but you'll only get benefit if you then do things that are restful for you. Don't be put off uh, by other people. Well, I, I always read five books on my day off. You know, it, it, you can feel the pressure. No, do things that are restful for you and plan to do those things well. And don't feel guilty because you're not doing anything. You are. You are deliberately resting so you're refreshed and better able to handle the next things that you've planned. Be smart. And then thirdly, be filled. Paul here makes a very unusual comparison with drinking alcohol. Well, actually, not with drinking, but with getting drunk. He identifies that too much alcohol means we lose resistance. We're prone to do or try things we wouldn't normally do. He says it leads to debauchery. That's not a word we use much, is it? It means bad or immoral behavior that involves sex, drugs, alcohol, etc. The comparison is about excess. Drunk with wine compared to being filled with the Spirit. You've probably heard that in the Greek, be filled with the Spirit is in the present continuous sense, often referred to as go on being filled. It's helpful, but I don't think it fully explains the comparison. Being drunk is such a strong comparative. It almost feels inappropriate but to put the word drunkenness and Holy Spirit in the same sentence. So what is Paul trying to convey to us? I think it's this. Drink in as much of the Holy Spirit as you possibly can so that you are filled to overflowing and then maintain that level of fullness every moment of every day. You can have too much alcohol, but you can never have too much Holy Spirit. Alcohol leads to losing control. Being filled with the Spirit leads to gaining control. This passage is all about taking control, and we can only do that not just with the help of the Holy Spirit, as if he's there to hold our hand as we cross the road. No, he's, he's the voice of reason when we tell ourselves that wrong is right. 
He's the compass when we feel lost in the storm of life. He's the power to resist when we're struggling with temptation. He is everything that we need, and we need him all the time. Peter puts it like this. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We need the divine nature to live the divine life. We can never say, I couldn't do it. I couldn't resist. I couldn't help myself. It was too hard. We can only say, I didn't ask for help. Be filled. Fourthly, be thankful. We've covered uh, quite a lot of that already today. The outcome of the spirit in us is thankfulness. Remember the incident of the spilt coffee. What is in your cup is what will spill out. Whatever your situation, you can always be thankful for good things for positive circumstances, for happy events. But it's only when you're filled with the Holy Spirit that your response is what Paul says, always giving thanks for all things, even those challenging circumstances. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we don't have to try. It happens naturally, well, supernaturally. Psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, All those are a natural outflow of being filled with the Spirit. And then fifthly, be accountable. Submission to one another is a very un-Western thing to do. Our culture is of every man is an island. We build castles with fortified walls to keep people out. We put fences round our gardens. We put gates on our driveways. We don't live in community. We dabble in community and then retreat behind our front doors. Voluntary, voluntarily submitting ourselves to one another is therefore not just hard to do, It's hard to bring into our thinking. It's not in our psyche. We haven't had it modelled in our upbringing. We don't really know what it looks like. And yet community is the essence of our Christian life. Peter says, you are a chosen people. Not a chosen person, a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. You were once not a people. You were just a person in darkness on your own. Now you are the people of God. Do you know there are over 40 different one another statements in the New Testament? There are 59 if you count all the repeats. So even though the culture of the early church was more community-based than ours, they still needed to be reminded. Why? Because the community of the church 
is based on the submission we find in the Trinity, which is fundamentally different to any culture on earth. But we're no longer what we were. That is the good news. We've been born again, and we're now new creations. Every fibre of our being is now fizzing with the power and intensity of his life in us. Therefore, we can walk in wisdom. We can give thanks in all circumstances. We can resist temptation. We can submit ourselves to one another. We can live a godly life. Come on, church. Let's do it.